All of it is supported by Missouri, makers of handcrafted jewelry that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Missouri has you covered. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It is strangely fitting that this year the theme of the Met Gala was an exploration of time and how clothing can conflate the past, present, and future. Usually the first Monday in May is the night of the annual celebration hosted by Vogue and benefiting the Metropolitan Museum of Art. This year it morphed into many different online events, some official, others not. The virtual gala took the form of a moment with the Met on Vogue's YouTube channel under hashtag Met Gala Challenge, fashion enthusiasts embraced this year's theme about time, fashion, and duration by recreating looks from galas past. And there was an unofficial celebration taking place as well, organized by fashion students under the mantle of high fashion Twitter. Vanessa Friedman, fashion director and chief fashion critic for the New York Times, joins us. And Vanessa, can we get a little background on the Met Gala, when it started, and how has it evolved into the spectacle, the event that it usually is today? Sure. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you. So the Met Gala has been going on for decades. It started as a very um, insular New York cultural fundraiser, just like the the annual galas for the ballet or the opera or the Philharmonic. And when um, Anna Wintour, who is the artistic director of Condé Nast and was the editor of Vogue, became the sole chairwoman of the event um, in, I think it was the late 90s, she uh, really transformed it into the single most profitable and watched, I think, gala event of the year. It's certainly the biggest fashion party of the year, and it's really a nexus of fashion and politics and society and culture, celebrity, um, handpicked by her and um, watched by everyone else. Is there a particular reason its timing is the first Monday in May? You know, I, it's a good question. <laughs> it always has been, and um, or has been uh, in recent years, and it's become it's it's sort of its day. Um, it's practically a unofficial holiday, I think, uh, for the rest of us. When you talked about it, it's a fundraiser, obviously, for the museum. But what kind of platform does the Met Gala give to designers? It's really, I mean, it is the single most watched fashion event of the year, hands down. It's bigger, you know, in terms of viewership, red carpet viewership than the Oscars, uh, than any fashion show. So it is an extraordinary marketing event for a designer. Designers all bring celebrities. The celebrity pictures go worldwide. They remain in the ether. You know, I mean, just yesterday you saw numerous platforms because there was no Met Gala going back through the best Met Galas of the last, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. And, you know, once again, those pictures, those designers, those looks were everywhere. And because the designer, because it's a fashion event as opposed to, for example, a film event, the clothes are really seen in their purest form. So they have not been sort of remade for a more generic red carpet there it's really you know fashion capital f so it's a great ex, you know a great platform for a designer a great moment for them to really um, show the purity of what they want to make 
sometimes the themes can be outrageous and fun one year it was camp um and this Mm -hmm. year it's it's a fairly sophisticated uh, theme about time fashion and duration using the writings of virginia wolf as a narrator Mm -hmm. how did costume institute curator andrew bolton describe what this theme meant in a complicated way, <laughs> with the help of obscure French philosophy and Michael Cunningham. You know, I think there was a sense that after camp and before that, um, the the show about Catholicism and the fashion imagination, things had gone as extreme as they could go, really, in terms of costuming and fashion costuming. Um, it was interesting to look at the Billy Porter um, Met Gala challenge, as you mentioned, where people were recreating their favorite looks of the past. Because I think the single most popular look was when Rihanna came um, during the the Catholicism show dressed as the Pope. I think that was the one I mm-hmm. saw most recreated. So, in a way, looking at time um, or timelessness and the way that designers are engaged in a kind of constant dialogue with the past with what people have worn in the past, what their, you know, progenitors made in the past was um, a way to return to maybe more subdued and timeless dressing. And I think also maybe on the, um, on the fashion of it, on the, the craft of fashion, not just the Certainly. excitement of, of, of a spectacle. Although, you know, even even with the spectacle, you know, there's been a real, I think, focus on some of the most extraordinary clothing that's been made, you know, whether it's light up dresses that Tommy Hilfiger made for Zendaya or, you know, the kind of incredible constructions of Ray Kawakubo for Come de Garçon. My guest is Vanessa Friedman, fashion director and chief fashion critic for The New York Times. So the virtual Met Gala was called A Moment with the Met, like many things, institutions are having to reinvent themselves in this moment. What actually happened at the virtual Met Gala? There was a tour of, I guess, what have been, what would, what will be in the exhibit come October when it does open. Um, some reviews of the past Met Galas, and again, the most extraordinary looks. There was an actual concert by uh, Florence Welsh because at the Met Gala there always is a special musical um, guest during the dinner, which is off limits to everybody else. We don't normally get to see it, so that was exciting. And then there was an after party hosted by Virgil Abloh, who DJed. So, you know, like the Instagram uh, challenge and like the high fashion Twitter uh, event, this really opened up the Met to kind of engagement with an audience in a way that has not been possible in the past and I think was really exciting to a lot of people. Now, of course, we've been, we've been throwing around high fashion Twitter. You wrote a piece about it. Will you explain to our <laughs> listeners what high fashion Twitter means? High fashion Twitter is a subculture of the platform that is occupied largely by pretty young students mm-hmm. um, who are not necessarily fashion students, but are just individuals who are really interested in the history of fashion, the culture of fashion, the art of fashion, and you know are very engaged with it. In a, in a very um, personal, visceral, and critical way. You know, unlike Instagram, which is a very polished view of fashion and a very filtered view of fashion, high fashion Twitter is much more verbal. It's much more interested in debate and education, I think. Um, and so these kids decided to host their own version of the Met. 
which was open to whoever wanted to create a look, uh, usually from their own closet or their own imagination, and, uh, and post it for all to see and comment on. So great. I love this, the creativity that has evolved. It was really, yeah. Yeah, I mean, seeing how inspired um, non-fashion people were, I think, by the idea of self-expression and the kind of self-expression that can come through clothing was, I think, you know, really instructive for all of us and kind of lovely. Last time we had you on the show, before I let you go, I wanted to ask, I do want to ask you a little bit about some fashion business news. It was kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, we talked mm-hmm. about how the pandemic could start to have an effect on retail and uh, small designers, but big news came that J. Crew is going to announce it was going to file for bankruptcy because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I know J. Crew had been having trouble for a while. Mm-hmm. What what is the mm-hmm. signal for other companies of J. Crew stature? Well, you know, we've been there've been rumors floating around um, about lots of retailers in particular for the last couple of weeks, most vociferously around Neiman Marcus and J.C. Penney. And so it was a kind of out of the blue, I guess, in some ways that J. Crew beat everybody <laughs> to mm. the bankruptcy filing. But, you know, while it was the first, it certainly is not expected to be the last. And as you say, this is partly um, a result of the tipping point that was that is the coronavirus and the fact that all the stores are now closed. And it's partly a result of um, a complicated and challenged business model that was in place before the virus ever struck but that clearly had no kind of route to success once there was no revenue coming in. You know, JQ had been part of a, um, a private equity leveraged buyout a couple of years ago. It had a very big debt burden, and there was just no way to pay it down. Is there a business model that you could see emerging from this time that um, could be successful? Or something that might be developed in this time that could be successful, an unintended consequence? I think there's no question we're going to see much smaller store networks uh, than we have seen in the past. You know, that's one of the advantages of, um, of declaring Chapter 11 and, um, and taking shelter within that structure because it allows you to shed some leases that perhaps were untenable and to kind of rethink your bricks-and-mortar presence at a time when, obviously, e-commerce is becoming, you know, even more important than we ever thought it would be, because that's how we're all engaging with stores and brands at the moment. And I think we may see, you know, a return to the kind of situation we had a couple, you know, over a decade ago when really, you know, a store could be a destination because there was one of them. You know, mm. think about it as the power of one. You know, you want to go to a place to buy something because you can't get it somewhere else. You are in a city and you want to go experience this one particular special kind of monument to to Mm -hmm. retail or to to shopping to close. Um, And, you know, I can really see a moment when that becomes, you know, stores become monuments in a way. My guest has been Vanessa Friedman, fashion director and chief fashion critic for The New York Times. As always, it's a pleasure to have you, Vanessa. Lovely to be with you. Thank you. All of it is supported by Majuri, makers of handcrafted, ethically sourced jewelry for every day that's made to last. Looking for the perfect Mother's Day present? Majuri has taken the guesswork out of gifting, offering everything from dainty 14K solid gold pieces to pearls, diamonds, gemstones, and more. 
Make it personal with an engraving, or if you can't decide, check out their curated gift guide. Let them take care of the rest, gift wrapping included. Get free shipping on all orders in the U.S. and Canada, plus easy returns and a two-year warranty. Head to Missouri.com slash all of it or use code all of it for 10% off your first order. That's M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash all of it. 